Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome, everybody. Thursday edition of Clay and Buck. Much to discuss. Obviously, the debate happened last night, and it was uh, a good spectacle, I will say. Clay and I watched it here together with our wives in uh, in South Florida. Uh, we decided to go for uh, flip-flops and PJs, so we were yes. not at the actual... Which was the right call after a big day yesterday. Big day at Mar-a-Lago yesterday with number 45, former President Trump. We had such a such a good time. Uh, with the president and, um, look, uh, I, I really, we enjoyed talking to him. One of our, our favorite moments was after we'd, we'd been there and he's, uh, th- some of you I'm, I'm sure have met him at different, you know, events and he, he obviously spends a lot of time going around shaking hands, talking to people out on the campaign trail. Um, but we, we thought we'd had a great day at Mar-a-Lago and then we're told, wait a second, hold on, hold on. You guys, before you go, the president has ordered you and your wives milkshakes. Yes. And we just sat, we sat there for a second and said, well, when the former president orders you a milkshake at his club, like you wait for the milkshake. So I will say though, my only disappointment, he went vanilla. I would have gone chocolate. Vanilla milkshakes. Now here, um, my wife said, you guys should have mentioned this, uh, is the only thing that we didn't just kind of set the scene for, uh, the, the interview. Stamina, obviously, Buck, is a big discussion, assuming it's going to be Trump v. Biden. Really, anybody v. Biden, if he's going to be the nominee. Trump literally walked in from playing 18 holes of golf. Zero prep. There was, uh, there was nobody there like, sir, here's your notes. You have to know this. Mm. Like, nothing about, like, what questions are going to be asked, anything. Sits down when we've already started the third hour of the show. Goes the entire hour, obviously, with us. And... And this is not that people don't see this, obviously, because it's not on video, but during every commercial break, interacting with our wives, interacting with the staff that's putting on the show. I think this is really important because we mentioned it, but Biden legitimately could not have done by Biden couldn't go play golf and sit down and talk to us for an hour. Buck, if he was going to sit down and talk to us for an hour, he would show up with 20 advisors. They would tell us what we could and could not ask. 
and he wouldn't be able to do yeah. more than like 10 minutes. Trump, Trump came rolling in right off the, right off the golf cart, uh, and, and sat down and was just being, he was in Trump mode. And, uh, I think he's, one thing that I'll say about this, look, there's just to set the scene for today, everybody, there was a lot of really interesting exchanges, whether you watch the debate or not, I'll just tell you as pure political spectacle, it was interesting. It was, um, the best debate of the debate so far. No doubt. Donald Trump is, uh, you know, he, he did his Hialeah event. I don't think you're going to see much change in the numbers from the debate. So it's not about that. Maybe some movement among the second tier, but there's really two tiers. There's Trump in one tier and there's everybody else in the other tier. Uh, but it, w- it was interesting. Uh, we made a little bit of a prediction, which was that Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy were going to, yeah, we're going to go after each other. And, uh, that was. We'll, we'll, we'll remind, if some of you saw it, I'm sure a lot of you didn't, we'll, we'll tell you all about it. We'll play some of those sound bites for you because it got personal last night on that stage. Those two were, and, and we actually watched as well to see after the debate when they went around to shake hands. Uh, Chris Christie got a handshake from Vivek. I did not see a Nikki Haley Vivek handshake. Vivek clearly and Nikki Haley do not like each other. Yes, I think that is real. I don't uh, think that's just that's for the cameras. It's not manufactured. There is a genuine disdain there. And if you watched in the post, I always like to see, remember we had Carol Markowitz on after I yeah. think the, the debate out in California and just said, Hey, what's the vibe during the commercial breaks? Who's talking? Who's shaking hands? How much interaction movement are we actually seeing? And right when the debate ended, Vivek shook everybody else's hand on the stage, gave the blow by, go a blow by to Nikki Haley. She made no effort to interact with him at all. And they kept the camera running on NBC. And I, I think we need to discuss what might be going on there because I think that is super interesting in terms of the dynamics going forward. And then just uh, to to continue with that thought, there's also but there's some uh, we're going to get to some more news, uh, breaking news out of Israel for you here in just uh, a little bit. They've agreed to a four hour pause in fighting. I'm seeing to let Hamas hostages out. Biden says no long-term Gaza ceasefire, though. So we'll dive into that a little bit more, but that's just some breaking news uh, that I'm just seeing here as we start the show. So we will get back to that. I, I wanted to say, though, because we were with Trump last night. Uh, I'm sorry, well, yesterday during the day, uh, and then last night he was in, in Hialeah. For a guy who is facing, and we, we said this to him, we said this to him off camera, for a guy who is facing what he is facing, the civil trial in New York, the four criminal trials outstanding, the idea that they would like to, if they could, certainly destroy his reputation, convict him as a felon, and who knows, maybe they even do believe somehow they could get him in a prison cell. And, uh, he's ready for the fight, man. He, his attitude, his attitude is incredible for somebody who faces what he faces right now. He seemed very relaxed. Yeah. Uh, and, um, I, I, I think in many ways he's compartmentalized what they're doing. And I, I think the reality is that he's benefiting from it. And I think he recognizes that he's benefiting it from, from it publicly, uh, in terms of, uh, the, the political standing. He is right now the favorite to me, but coming out of debate three. And we should say, if you want to react to the debate, if you want to react to our interview with Donald Trump yesterday, 800-282-2882. To me, the biggest takeaway, and we're going to play some of these cuts because I know some of you are busy. You didn't watch it. I thought NBC did a really good job. The questions were, for the most part, very well thought out. Uh, they gave uh, candidates times to answer. There was not the super woke posturing that we saw from the Univision employee. And, and you could understand all of the anchors very true. clearly, which does help. It helps when the English spoken is very clear. Yes, but 
the biggest takeaway to me, Buck, and I'm curious what your single biggest takeaway, Tim Scott and Chris Christie are, are nice guys. They don't belong on the stage anymore. It is a, it is a, the second tier is a three person yes. contest now. That, that's, that's by the time is. we get to Tuscaloosa next month, it should only be Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, and Ron. I, I, I think that'll actually be some fireworks. I think yes. that'll be an interesting I debate. I think it helps the debate the fewer people who are on the stage. Well, and what you have, you know, some of these dynamics that were playing out. Remember, last night was the national security focus debate. The first hour, certainly the first 30, 40 minutes was heavily on the issues of, um, what to do about Ukraine, what to do about the Israel-Hamas war that's ongoing right now, uh, U.S. military funding, all of that. Uh, a lot of discussion of how much money we're going to spend to fund foreign militaries, which was also, I think, interesting and, and worth taking a step back from and wondering if the GOP uh, really thinks through all those implications. But let's start with, just because we can start with the fireworks and get into the policy. What do you say? Um, Makes sense. This was... Because Vivek, I find that on based on my own sort of personal conversations with people, and then what I see online, I think Vivek is the most polarizing of the non-Trump candidates. I think that's accurate. Like I know a lot of people that like that that are they're all in on Trump, but they'll say to me like I think DeSantis is a super sharp guy and a great governor, or um, or you know they'll say you know they don't they're okay with you know they think Nikki Haley is a smart lady and you know whatever like they're they tend they tend to have other people. With Vivek, I, I come across a people who love the guy and people who really do not like him. Uh, you know, he's some, and I bring it up just because if that's the perception that's out there in the general population, Nikki Haley is definitely not a loves the guy person. Yes. She is not. This is, this is where things got particularly heated last night. We wanted to start with this. And like I said, we will get into some of the policy and everything else. But uh, I want you to listen for the word she uses to describe him. She kind of just threw it in here. Play, this is cut three, Nikki Haley to Vivek. I want to laugh at why Nikki Haley didn't answer your question, which is about looking at families in the eye. In the last debate, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was actually using the app for a long time. So you might want to take care of your family first. Leave my daughter out of your voice. The next generation of Americans are using it. You're just scum, she throws in there over the mic at the debate over a TikTok question, which I, I didn't think this would get so heated. So this to me was the moment that everybody is going to be reacting to. And I haven't watched television, but I would imagine the drama of that interchange is dominating discussion. So first question I think a lot of you out there analyzing, she's basically Nikki Haley saying, don't talk about my daughter. Vivek talked about her adult daughter being on TikTok. I think that's fair game. Do you? I mean, I say that as a parent. Oh, well, see, first if of it all, were like, if it were a 14 or 15 year old, I would say, yeah, you shouldn't really bring family in. But Vivek on TikTok and his own uh competitor's daughter, who's, I believe, 23 and married now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, look, I, I, as you know, as this audience knows, I'm a little bit out on an island here when it comes to TikTok because I've just learned so many neat tricks. For, you love TikTok for, for cooking my steaks perfectly, and I, I look. I'm just gonna tell you, it is it is super addictive, and you know, it gives me a lot of tactical tips for being out on the range. Like, there's some great TikTok accounts out there, and people say, oh, well, China's gonna get yeah, China. 
I am more worried about Google right now. And yeah. I think it's so interesting. People are like, well, I, YouTube is fine. And I'm like, why is YouTube fine? YouTube won't they, post they, our interview with Trump. Yeah. They want to take, they want to take your kids away from you if you wouldn't get the vax. I mean, these people are out of their minds or if you won't, you know, gender affirm that they're a different gender at 12. Uh, so anyway, that, that's a little bit of my, I have a, uh, heretical take, I guess, for the GOP on this one. Is it fair game to your question, Clay? I mean, I don't know if you bring in like someone's family necessarily in that in that context, but I will tell you this: to say you're just scum, yeah, like that's it, that's a that's a wow moment. If I were ranking it, to me, Vivek saying you're a because he says your adult daughter. If he had said your 14 year old is on, I Twitter. think that's fair. If 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 it's if we're talking about yes. somebody who's not not an adult, you know, your 14, 15 year old, uh, and you bring e- that even, person, even in. college yeah. kids. She's, I believe, the daughter is out of college. She is married now. She's an adult. The answer that I thought would have been way better for Nikki Haley on TikTok, and I thought this in real time, and I was talking about it with my own uh, daughter, my, my own daughter. I don't have a daughter. My own wife about our kids. Um, I don't have a daughter that I know of, hopefully. Uh, uh, I got out there and I said, look, every parent and every grandparent, young kids do things that you disagree with. So I actually think Nikki Haley could have answered that really well and said, yeah, you know what? I don't think that my teenagers uh, should have been on TikTok. I wish I'd kept them off social media. I have regrets as a parent about some of the choices my kids made. But guess what? My own parents had regrets about some of the choices I made, too. That's how parenting works. You think you can protect your kids from making poor choices, and you can't. To me, that's way better of a response than calling him scum. Because uh, to me, it goes, and my wife, and I'm curious what Carrie said afterwards, my wife said the way I take it is Nikki Haley knows way more about Vivek Ramaswamy. That wasn't about him saying something about her daughter. It was that she genuinely detested him already, and it was like the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, in terms of, like, but that means she got her emotions wrapped up in it a little bit, and I'm curious how that plays. But last time, I thought when she said, I, you know, something, we played it for you guys yesterday. Every time you speak, speak, I get dumber, uh, Nikki Haley said. I thought that was a little too harsh under the circumstances, and she actually, uh, you saw some movement for her upwards in the polls. Um, so this time around, you know, maybe people like that, uh, she was getting a little feisty on the stage. Look, there, I, I, I'll say this about it, and we can get back into some takes here. Also want to hear from some of you, by the way. If you have, I want to know this, uh, if you have a really pro or anti Nikki or Vivek yeah, take, that's what, we, that's what we want here. People who are really fired up one way or the other about the Nikki Vivek, uh, throwdown. I'm kind of curious to hear that. Um, and, and I, I would just say this to me, Ron DeSantis was Ron, yeah. right? Competent, good answers, memorable, not really memorable, but you know, you're comparing it to, you know, you're not gonna, if you're doing William F. Buckley sit down, you're not gonna do, you know, you're not gonna be the same as Jerry Springer, right? Things got a little testy on that stage. And he's so. directly between them, so it's kind of an awkward yes. dynamic where they're yelling back over him. It's like if you've ever been on an airplane where two people are yelling at each other and you're in the middle seat, you're kind of like, hey, yeah, how what do happen? I do here? I mean, yeah. he, he he came across, I think, a little bit as, as adult in the room because of that. Uh, he wasn't getting into the mix on that stuff. His answers were, he's he's always solid, but I didn't see a breakout, right? I didn't see, I didn't see a Ron moment where I thought, oh man, everyone's going to remember that. So now maybe that's just sort of status quo for him. And he's looking at Iowa and he's saying everything will be fine. The vacant Nikki though, clearly that was the dynamic and we, we should take some calls on it. And, and also 
Vivek had another moment some people thought was his best of the night going after the moderators. I actually like to. that. We'll talk about that when we come back. Um, and, uh, and also I, I said that I think Tim Scott and Chris Christie need to drop out. I didn't think they were bad. I, I thought they were fine. They just haven't had their moment where they demonstrated that they're capable of really kind of surging. Can I just get a quick thought on Christie? I, Christie is sort of turned into like guys like, the adult I'm in the room. A, I'm just here to emote and like I feel your family struggles and everything. And like, yeah, that's all fine. But like, what about the guys like, hey, like those goons who run the teachers unions, like I'm going to teach them a thing or two. Like he used to be a brawler. He's not really a brawler. No, I, I think that's accurate. I mean, he definitely and I don't know if that's a strategic choice. He's also aged. Uh, he's 15 years older than he was probably when he was throwing. I'm not trying to, you know. Uh, throwing the weight around is a phrase. So, uh, but when he was really kind of, as you said, a brawler, bombastic, uh, maybe because Trump has so occupied that lane that he's decided that he needs a new lane, or again, maybe he's just aged uh, and uh, and feels like he is more of an adult in the room. I don't know, but I, I think we're going to get some great calls, and I want to play that Vivek going after the media right at the start because I think that was a tone setter for him. When our men and women in our military retire from service and rejoin the private sector, it's often a tough transition. Many of our veterans take on debt in the process. One company has stepped up to help them, Pure Talk. They're donating a portion of their revenues for new customers. Their goal is to raise $10 million to retire veteran debt, Leading up to Veterans Day this Saturday, and they're close, more than 95% of the way there. Make the switch to Pure Talk yourself. Participate in this nationwide effort to help veterans. You sacrifice nothing. You'll save money, in fact, with a Pure Talk plan and great service. Pure Talk's plan started just 20 bucks a month. Unlimited talk, text, more data, and a mobile hotspot. Just dial pound 250. Say the keywords Clay and Buck to make the switch. Show your support. Dial pound Two five zero say Clay and Buck to switch to Pure Talk today. The supply chain of smarts, sanity, and truth uninterrupted. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years, and in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. 
Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Hour number two, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show from uh, South Florida. Yesterday, Donald Trump with us. Encourage you to go listen to the third hour of the program. For that full interview, uh, you can search out my name, Clay Travis. You can search out Buck Sexton. You'll be able to listen to that anywhere on your free time. Crazily, we're two months, uh, two months, two weeks from uh, Thanksgiving. And I think it's going to sneak up on a lot of people. It's an early Thanksgiving this year. Uh, but I know many of you are going to be on the road. You're going to be out and about for Thanksgiving, for Christmas, holiday season, for New Year's. All of that likely to uh, to play in uh, to your complex schedule. So go ahead and sign up for the podcast. You'll also get Carol Markowitz, who we ran into down here a couple of days ago, does incredible work for the New York Post. Also a former New Yorker who has fled to the free state of Florida. And uh, you can also get Tudor Dixon, who is doing fabulous work up in Michigan, all as a part of that network. Now, we mentioned uh, the debate last night. I wanted to hit these two cuts because, Buck, you and I watched this debate together with our wives last night. I actually missed everybody reacted to Vivek Ramaswamy saying that Nikki Haley was basically uh, Dick Cheney in three inch heels, which I thought was the insult. He actually was making fun of Ron DeSantis because the Trump campaign has said that DeSantis wears lifts, too, to try to make himself taller, which is a ridiculous story. Welcome to politics. Uh, but listen to this Vivek line. And then we were referencing Nikki Haley's response, which didn't come for a while, but also didn't land uh, necessarily as effectively as I think she wanted. But here's Vivek's attack. Corrupt politicians in both parties spent trillions, killed millions, made billions for themselves in places like Iraq and Afghanistan, fighting wars that sent thousands of our sons and daughters, people my age, to die in wars that did not advance anyone's interests, adding $7 trillion to our national debt. You have the likes of Nikki Haley, who stepped down from her time at the U.N., bankrupt or in debt is, was her family, then she becomes a military contractor. She joins the board of Boeing and otherwise and is now a multimillionaire. So I think that that's wrong when Republicans do it or Democrats do it. That's the choice we face. Do you want a leader from a different generation who's going to put this country first? Or do you want Dick Cheney in three-inch heels? Mr. In which case, we've got two of them on stage tonight. Okay. okay, so it's the it's last the line, the reaction. Talk, yeah. yeah, the reaction started because uh, he says, in which case we've got two of them on the stage. Now... Lester Holt steps in there. I, I would like, I think it would be fun. I bet you would enjoy it too. I think it would be fun to moderate a debate. My number one rule would be steer towards conflict. So right there, a lot of times I think, Buck, that these uh, debate moderators have their topics laid out and they are going to go to them no matter what the answers are. It's almost like they've got a checklist. So Lester Holt didn't immediately go to Nikki Haley and even the way he cut off, cut away from that line which was designed to be an attack at DeSantis I didn't even realize it I texted you 
you know, an hour yeah. after the debate when this, uh, when that video clip was shared. Here was Nikki Haley's response, uh, that came probably seven or eight minutes later. Governor Haley, would you please answer that? Yes, I'd first like to say they're five inch heels and I don't wear them unless you can run in them. Um, <laughs> The second thing that I will say is I wear heels. They're not for a fashion statement. They're for ammunition. The first one worked. The second one fell flat. Now, you can tell that this is the story of last night's debate was these two going back and forth. Um, uh, but on, on the policy side of it for a second here, actually, because we mentioned some people might be saying, why is Buck asking such a strange question? Uh, about the Navy, about the Navy. How many ships in the Navy? Here is a Hugh Hewitt, who was the conservative representative of the moderators. He's a radio host. Listen to what he says. Play 27. For decades and decades, the American military, but primarily the United States Navy, has deterred an attack from China to the island state of Taiwan. But Ronald Reagan's Navy of 600 ships is gone. Now, the question to you is, and I'll start with you, Ambassador Haley, because you were in President Trump's cabinet. His goal was a 355-ship Navy. That's what he pushed for. He got to 300. It's now at 291. Is that big enough to deter and, if necessary, defeat an invasion of Taiwan? Okay. Uh, as a very specific yes. question. Um, and, and, and then he, he ended up, uh, I don't, we don't even need to hear that. He, but he, he kept pushing for this, the specific number, you know, sub-300, Reagan 600. Uh, there are some things here that should be taken into account. One, Clay, is that not all ships are the same. Yes. So the ship number, I mean, you could have, you know, the the SS like Minnow or what? Isn't that what it was? They got the SS lost Minnow. Yes. Thank you. Gilligan's, Gilligan's Island. Island. Thank you. I mean, you could have a very minor ship, or you could have a billion dollar. Uh, I mean, you're, we're in Miami right now, so, Buck, and I walked by a harbor. There is a lot of difference yeah, between are, some of those. Sh- there are yachts. There are boats and there are yachts. Yes. You know, so, there are, there are sailing. There are, you know, there are, uh, are schooners and there are sailing ships. Um, so it, it's kind of a weird question in that respect too. I think it gets a little bit more, but, but here's what I actually was, was trying to take from this. There was a lot of time spent about how, you know, how much money we should be giving. I didn't hear anyone last night. Including Vivek, and by all means, I'm going on memory, so I could be wrong. Say that they would cut off funding for Ukraine. Vivek, uh, po- Vivek po- uh, positions himself as the guy who is opposed to the establishment on this question, and and I, we'll track down his response on this because this is yeah. along the same thing. When he's being asked about funding, he's being asked about uh, how big the navy should be. Um, he, he said something about how corrupt. Ukraine is and how it's okay sure I mean then that's interesting to bring into the discussion and Ukraine Democrats have created this like Ukraine utopia where it's this amazing democracy and if it goes away like the whole the whole world is falling apart that's hysteria and that's nonsense but I did not hear a single person on that stage say that they would stop effectively being the arsenal and bank for Zelensky's Ukrainian resistance against Russia. Did you, am I missing that? I mean, that, that there was, which I think is interesting because there no was, was trepidation to, to 100% stand with Ukraine, as is the, I st- still think the Democrat perspective. You, you see what I mean? They all yeah. dance around it because they say, oh, we need accountability for the funds. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. We need accountability. Do you want to give them the money or not is the real question. Do yeah. You keep funding them because it's already in the hundreds of billions. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one area where, uh, the pivot. So, so I thought the start of the debate, 
that everybody on the stage looked phenomenal. I thought it was pretty good advertisement for the Republican Party as it pertained to Israel in particular, because everybody speaks stridently as one voice to defend the right of Israel to defend itself in the Republican Party. And you don't have this cacophony of, uh, of, of Hamas and Palestinian sympathizers like the uh, Democrat Party would have if they were having a real debate on the stage right now. But they didn't link them. And they didn't allow that discussion because I do think the Speaker of the House has done a good job in saying, hey, we want to fund Israel, but this is really not connected in our minds to what's going on with Ukraine. Now, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, uh, and uh, Tim Scott, I would say, are definitively still in the we've got to do as much as we can to protect Ukraine. But they don't really want to say it. Well, it's gotten, less, I mean? it's gotten less politically palatable. DeSantis is, uh, I would say, in the middle. Vivek, to his credit, has been the most aggressive in saying, I don't really think that Ukraine is our battle. He criticizes Ukraine, yeah. but, I mean, I come across this a lot with people say, oh, you know, what we're doing with Ukraine, Ukraine's corrupt, why are we giving Ukraine all this money? And and you see this with poli- with some of the people on the right, but you say, okay, would you stop? Would you stop funding? Yeah. I mean, that would be the they most don't say, They don't want to say that. They don't want to say that. Yeah. And the people who want to keep the funding going like to put these... Oh, um, we need, we need accountability. And, and there was something else too. Basically putting these, uh, like prefacing this a little bit, putting in these additional measures. The fundamental question is, are we going to continue to have a blank check approach to funding the Ukrainian fight that is currently in stalemate with Russia? Is that what we are going to do? Um, in, under a republic, the next presidency, assuming it's a Republican. Uh, I, I think that everyone hedges a little bit on this one is what I, I think. Every, Trump comes in and he's just like, I'll end it. I'll sit down with yeah, Putin. And we'll hash out an agreement. We'll end it. So that's his position. You can say you like that or not, but that's his position. I think a lot of people are nervous there because DeSantis got caught in an early interview saying that Ukraine was a territorial yeah. dispute. Uh, and the way that he phrased that led to him getting attacked. I think the donor class, frankly, is far more supportive of the money being spent in Ukraine than the average base of the Republican Party is. So I thought that was an example of one that they were trying to finesse and not have to uh, to uh, directly address. Uh, one more thing, Buck, that stood out to me. Vivek seemed very kind to DeSantis. Yes. There's a resp- not, now I, I mean, missed, he made he made the, he, he made, made the, the heel, heel joke. Comment. But I mean, that's that's a little bit of a grade school thing. That's yeah. Not, I don't think that really and lands on DeSantis. I think. Now the analysis starts to become, and and this is maybe at the bottom of this hour, we can have a discussion about it in earnest. Where would these people's supporters go if they dropped out? For instance, I think if Tim Scott dropped out, Trump told us yesterday, and I think that's correct, I think Tim Scott would endorse Donald Trump. And so most Tim Scott supporters, I think, would end up aligned with Donald Trump. Chris Christie. If Chris Christie dropped out, none of his supporters to the extent, you know, let's say both those guys, let's give them round them up and say they have 5%. None of Chris Christie's support, I don't believe, would go to Trump. It's a very anti-Trump support. So would Chris Christie line up behind Ron DeSantis or Nikki Haley? I think that's probably the choice that he would find himself in. And it seemed to me that there was a decent amount of rapport between Christie and Nikki Haley. It seemed like Vivek was actually very respectful of uh, DeSantis but my natural inclination is almost all of the vague support would go to Trump. Now, here's the challenge, right? Nikki Haley, I think none of her support, by and large, would go to Trump. Whereas I think all of DeSantis's support would go to Trump. The reason why I bring this up is 
if your goal is to beat Trump, how does the math work as you analyze this? Do you agree with my, like, I think can, Nikki can I Haley, tell you where yeah, we are right yeah. now in my mind? I think that based on the numbers we're seeing, it, it's almost, uh, it, it, right now, whoever gets the swing here or there, it looks like it's irrelevant. That you Trump know, has gotten such a big lead. Yeah, Trump is so, is so That's far That's the question ahead. I'm asking. Yeah. Is it, there math that would lead to somebody being it, able to beat Trump? It would be, right. It, it would be math that you would have to be able to do, so to speak. The numbers would have, like, in the next month, right? I mean, what, you, if you look at this over the next, uh, three or four months and going into Super Tuesday and all that, I think it's too slow for it to matter. Yeah. You would have to have, these changes occur. You'd have to have people dropping out before Christmas. Or, I don't. I don't think anyone on that stage, with the possible exception of Chris Christie, is going to drop out before uh, at least at least uh, Iowa. Here's what I would say, Buck: is after this debate, and we'll see what happens in December. Again, I think really it should just be DeSantis, Vivek, and Nikki Haley on the stage in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, for the next uh, Republican debate. The only game changer I can see is. If Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis agreed to join together on a unity ticket and they did it right now. Well, that's what I mean by it would have to be. It would have to be all like, in. You would have to sit down game change and, and you would have to, and the challenge on that is one of them would have to be like, yeah, I'm the number, I'm the president and the other one would have to be the vice president. That's the uh. only look. I mean, and you guys out there listening, tell me if you disagree, right? Just look at this strategically, not as a diehard supporter of any particular candidate. Just look at it from as a math equation. Well, I mean, I'm looking at yeah. it right now, right? The latest as of November 6th here, real clear politics. Oh, this is actually a trip. This is Trump yeah. And really, here. what it, what we have right. to have is the Iowa, Iowa right. and New Hampshire. He, he, primaries, here's what right? you could say, pretty. Trump is at 44 right now in Trafalgar. Trafalgar is a very generally considered a pro-Trump, not not disparaging. Yeah, but a pro-Trump or or you know lean leans Trump is what I should say in the polling. Uh, Trump is at 44. DeSantis and Haley together would be at 33. Okay. So if you had if a you unity combine yes. the two of them and you got to a thirty three you know thirty three percent support, that would be but I, I think uh I, you know, I don't know. So uh, here here's my I don't know that anybody has the uh the ability to put together Tim this Scott's equation. Scott's at nine in this, by the way. But Tim Scott's holding on to a I pretty think, pretty sizable chunk of folks. Uh I think Tim Scott is going to endorse Trump and I think he'll do it sooner and rather than I later. Think you get Trump over fifty, and that's see, this so is where this, this is, is where, how the math This moves. is where the math becomes interesting because I think the only way that you could look, I don't think Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis are gonna drop out, right? I think the only way that anybody could give Trump a run at this point, if you look at the polling, is if Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis agreed to have a unity ticket designed to beat Trump. Could you imagine? I mean, they would have to do like a coin flip or something. There would neither one of them would ever, by temperament or career aspiration, accept the vice president. Well, there would have to be. That's where you look at it from Trump's perspective. If I'm looking at it from Trump's perspective last night. Vivek winning that debate, in my opinion, Vivek won. I understand that could be polarizing. Some people might not. That's the best result for Trump because it maintains kind of a three-headed monster where there isn't somebody who is like, like coming out of this debate. Ramaswamy is only at five in this Trafalgar. Oh, I'm sorry. This is that. I, I, pardon me. I thought I was looking at the, uh, real, the average. This is just Iowa. Iowa. That's just Iowa. Yeah. So just Iowa, the Des Moines register came out. They had Trump at like 43. 
if you combine, and I think DeSantis and Haley were both at like 16, something like that. If you combine DeSantis and Haley in an Iowa joint ticket, then they could give Trump a real run. Um, I don't think either is willing to do it. And I think you're going to need to see a result from Iowa and New Hampshire where one of them is a clear number two in, uh, in order for the other one to get out. Make no mistake, we are fighting a spiritual battle as we protect the most vulnerable and innocent among us, babies in their mother's womb. You see it this week on full display with the voting results that were very disappointing in a number of states. But there's one nonprofit organization that is doing everything they can to help those unborn children, and they've been doing it for 17 years. Every day they save the lives of 200 unborn children. They're called Preborn. The Preborn Network of Clinics are located on the front lines of this battle in the areas of our nation where abortion rates are highest. Preborn offers love, support, counseling, and a free ultrasound to pregnant mothers. That ultrasound experience is often the difference when a pregnant mother makes her decision, life or abortion. Consider donating to Preborn as they rely on your gifts, the pro-life community's gifts, to operate. They save babies' lives. For just $28, you can sponsor an ultrasound that doubles a baby's chance at life. To donate securely, use your cell phone and dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, say baby, to talk to someone now, or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K, sponsored by Preborn. Truth after truth, you can handle the truth. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Third hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now. Wanted to bring you up to speed with the latest on the Israel-Hamas war here. Israel is expanding daily combat pauses to let civilians flee. This is according to the White House front page right now in the New York Times. So, pauses during the conflict to allow civilians to um, to get out of certain areas. This is not, according to the White House and Israeli authorities, this is not a total, this is not a ceasefire. It is very limited in duration. Um, we shall see how this uh, affects what's going on here and, and the uh, changes that may occur in the combat situation on the ground. But there's, there's another story that I wanted to make sure it was getting reported on by some, uh, some solid sources before we, we talked about it here. But I see, you know, Daily Mail has picked this up. Um, and I want to share this headline with you. Israel demands answers from CNN, Associated Press and Reuters over claims that freelance photographers were embedded with Hamas to cover the January, uh, the uh, October 7th attack. These journalists were accomplices in crimes against humanity is the quote that is here. So there, there are allegations out there. And based on some of the photography and some of the video that is circulating, it would seem that these are credible, certainly credible allegations that there were, and this is from the prime minister of Israel's uh, office putting this out. Um, that they, quote, view with utmost gravity that photojournalists working with international media joined in covering the acts of murder perpetrated by Hamas on October 7th, that these journalists were accomplices in crimes against humanity and contrary to professional ethics. So it does seem that there were people that were that were journalists and some who have worked for international news organizations freelance on a freelance basis, but they've worked with them who were with, and therefore had advanced knowledge of the October 7th attack on Israel 
and we're we're documenting at least in part some of what happened there. So that is a that is a, uh, a pretty shocking admission. But you know, journalism doesn't really have much in the way of uh, ethics to speak of these days, anyway. But this goes well beyond the normal complaints that we have about journalism. This is something that is a uh, stunningly uh, awful, um, awful act if they were along with them. Now, Clay, the uh, debates, the fights, and there have been fights. In fact, actually, last night, uh, did you see this? There was a uh, showing of Israeli actress Gal Gadot, Wonder Woman. We should give her credit just for a moment. Yeah. For people out there who are not aware, Gal Gadot was a member of the Israeli Defense Forces, as people who are all in Israel serve, uh, by and large. So she plays Wonder Woman. A lot of you have probably watched that. She has been, and again, it's celebrities, but of all of the celebrities out there, I'm not sure that anyone has been more outspoken than Gal Gadot in the Hollywood realm uh, over Israel's right to defend itself and calling out the horrible terror attack and slaughter for what it was. There's been a lot of tiptoeing up to this, a lot of attempts to obfuscate, to try to equivocate. That has not occurred at all with Gal Gadot. So to your point, Buck, she was showing, uh, screening some of this horrible footage to try to combat people in L.A. who are saying this is some sort of denialism. This didn't actually occur. Yeah. So in L.A., there, she just she had a theater. She's saying, you know, inviting people to come and see for themselves what happened on the October seventh attack and the atrocities that were committed by Hamas. There was fighting outside. There's video of it circulating. Um, there's some some chaos out there from people who, I think it's increasingly clear, aren't just sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, but are actually. Uh, pro Hamas. Uh, they think that Hamas is legitimate, that Hamas is fighting a resistance battle, and Hamas, the entity, the terrorist group, deserves some level of support. And, and I, I want to point out that th- this, this just uh, got on my radar this morning. We played something out. Doug Murray is British, but uh, I think he's a Fox contributor. He's on Fox for yeah. now. He's a, he's a really smart guy, a uh, really worthwhile analyst on a whole range of issues. Uh, he was talking to Piers Morgan, um, about this, uh, about this issue. And I want you to hear this exchange because this is a very important formulation or very important context to put the issue in. Uh, play it. You don't honestly think they're all pro-Hamas, these people? Well, I, I, I think that anyone who, for instance, chants things like from the river to the sea is, in fact... Yes, but they're not all doing that. ...or is criminally ignorant. Oh, well, they are. I mean, there's masses of videos of them marching past Westminster Abbey last week saying exactly that. Yeah, but they're not uh, all doing it. Marching past the Statue of Winston Churchill I, I, last I've week I've watched the videos, exactly. and there are well, lots of people okay, well, here, chanting well, and some who aren't. Okay, well, here's a challenge. Okay, well, here's a challenge, Piers. If you decided to go on some kind of march, mm. and in week one you discovered that you had the BNP along your side calling, for instance, for the murder of all black people. Would you not wonder whether or not you should go on week two? Would you not drop out by about week three? I'd have thought so. I would. That's a good question. And yes, I would. <laughs> can, can I just say, I mean, to Piers' credit, he's kind of like, oh, uh, you got me there, right? And this, but see, this is very important. And I give Doug Murray total credit for this. Because people like to play this game, including members of Congress. Oh, I'm not pro, I'm not pro Hamas, or I'm not with all that stuff. I just want civilian casualties limited for Palestinians. Like, hold on a second. You go to any of these big marches, 
You go to any of these places where there's a big gathering of people who are, you know, critical of Israel and, and are pro-Palestinian in some context, and there are people who are shouting for basically the murder of Jews and the eradication of the Israeli state. If it was anyone other than Jews in Israel, he's saying, wouldn't you be like, I don't want to be anywhere near these people? Like, at what point do you take some blame or do you, do you realize there's some contagion effect here of the vile ideology of the pro-Hamas people that you're standing next to in these protests saying, you know, free Palestine? No, I think it's a fabulous question. And I would just point out, and I don't know, you may have seen, I have not seen an update on the protester, uh, the Jewish man who was killed at a, uh, a Palestinian rally. I've seen very little media coverage of it. Compare that to Charlottesville, where one person died at Charlottesville. Tragic. Certainly, she didn't deserve uh, that outcome. But every single person listening to us right now has heard about the tragedy of Charlottesville a hundred times, two hundred times. If you just consume media, you heard Joe Biden claim that it was the entire basis for when he decided to run for president. Has Joe Biden commented on the Israeli uh, individual in L.A. who was killed? I haven't seen it. Joe Biden was very quick to comment when a young kid was murdered by a crazy man. And they said it was Islamophobia. In fact, they asked about it last night. Buck, I thought, credit to Douglas Murray, and that's a great exchange with Pierce Morgan. I thought last night, if you were, take yourself out of your political beliefs, whatever you believe you're listening to us right now. If you put on that debate and watch the first 30 minutes, honestly, you watch the whole thing. But if you watch the first 30 minutes and you were not a particularly political person, I thought the Republican, all five of the candidates, response on Israel was superb, splendid, strident, full of moral authority. Right outside where we're broadcasting from right now, Buck, your neighborhood, I walked home after that debate. There are the posters that are affixed to all of the the light poles here. I hadn't seen those personally myself. I had seen the story. Karine Jean-Pierre obviously couldn't manage to find out. But you heard... In South Florida, huge Jewish population, every day I'm hearing from more people who are saying the inability of the Democrat Party to condemn true evil is an incredible stain upon their party. I think it's far worse than anything that happened on January 6th as a stain on the country. Like, not being able to condemn evil terror attacks designed to eradicate Jews uh, in, in what way is a stain on the Democrat Party? I mean, I, I would I would want to know in what way is what Hamas did any less evil than the acts of ISIS or or Al Qaeda or these other groups? It I mean, is they, no it, less. You know, I would like to see someone try to make that argument, um, and because I I think they would make fools of themselves if they did. But uh, this is why again the Doug Murray point here is so important. People who are pushing for certain beliefs hide in the mob and say, well, I'm not as bad. Maybe it's only a few voices that are saying that. Yeah. Maybe it's only a few voices, or, and it's not a few, by the way, but it's a percentage, it's a chunk, it's a group of us uh, at, at these Palestinian protests, for example, who are saying from the river to the sea, well, you're associating with those people. They are supportive of Hamas. You are shoulder to shoulder with them in this debate. 
What does that say about you? Like, you could have taken the position after 9-11. You could have said, someone could have said, and by the way, there were some people who said, this is because it happened at my college. Someone stood up in front of yeah. the whole college, a professor, and said, this is what happens when you make people angry. I'll never forget that. But there were people who could have said, you know, this uh, 9-11, you know, right after 9-11, say, this is a result of U.S. imperialism and U.S. bases in Saudi, and basically parroting yeah. Saudi talking point. I mean, uh, sorry, uh, Al-Qaeda talking points about the Saudi peninsula, and, and then say, but I don't agree with Al-Qaeda's methods. And you would have said, well, so you're aligned with Al-Qaeda on everything, except you didn't, you don't agree with the running the planes into our buildings and murdering thousands of people stuff this time. But you agree with all their grievances. There's a lot of that that goes on with this Palestinian and Hamas situation where it's, well, you're with all the pro-Hamas people. Maybe you won't say you like this situation, but you won't condemn Hamas and you agree with all of Hamas's grievances. Well, what I thought we need to get Douglas Murray on the show. And maybe Pierce too. Um, I think we've had Pierce on, but what I thought was so interesting about that. Pierce's credit, he knew that he was checkmated, and I always appreciate that. Like, sometimes, like you know what, you're yeah, right. that's a good argument. Checkmate. Uh, well, what what I love about the argument he made, Buck, is he said more than once. So, and I think this is important to kind of contextualize. You might show up in this day and age for one event, and it turns into something else. But if you went the first time, and everybody's chanting from the river to the sea, and you see people who have uh, clear anti-Jewish uh, perspectives, you shouldn't show up for the second and the third rally. And that, to me, he's even giving a pass. Okay, so let's say you don't agree with from the river to the sea, but you actually support the Palestinian people. When you showed up the first time and you saw everyone chanting that, wouldn't you not want to go back the second and third time? That's the compelling part of the argument, because you could, I think in this day and age, you could end up at a rally or a protest, and the people that are advocating for something, they might be different than what you anticipated. You go back a second, a third, fourth time, you're endorsing what they're yeah. saying, even if you explicitly I, are not I, saying I, it. I yourself. agree. That's a, you know, you, you could say, um, you know, and I saw this when I used to cover in the very early days of my media time, the Occupy Wall Street movement. There were some of these anti-cop movements actually that would show up to them and they would say horrible things about police. Maybe you could say the first time. Yeah. I didn't know they were going to say that all cops are racist murderers. But if you've gone to the third anti-cop rally, I think you know what you're getting into. That's right. You know what I mean? And I think that that's why that point hit home. Um, we'll get into into more of this uh, coming back here in a second. And, uh, and hey, credit to Wonder Woman, by the way. Gal Gadot. Yes. I, 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 makes, it makes me really like her. I didn't have any strong opinion one way or the other. I mean, she's an attractive I mean, woman. I was, I was, you know, kind of, I, I was kind of I wasn't of anti anyway, but it makes me really want to be a fan of hers, especially given how woke and crazy so many people in Hollywood are. Um, you know, if you have a lot of money in the markets riding on AI and the boom that's happening... I urge you to listen to my dad, Mason Sexton. With all modesty, my dad has made his living paying very close attention to the markets for decades and making big predictions in them. In fact, he famously called the 1987 stock market crash almost to the day. He called the exact bottom of the COVID crash several years ago, and he called the exact top of the market last year as well. Earlier this year, he went live with another major prediction. He warned that the market would top out in late July, and right on cue, the market peaked. Those who listened to his unusual prediction, what some called his prophecy, were richly rewarded. But now my dad is coming forward with the second part of his prophecy. Specifically, he believes we're entering a six-month make-or-break period. Next Tuesday, the 14th, he's sharing all the details in an online event 
including why AI stocks are especially dangerous right now. See what my dad has to say. I'll be there. Go online to thesecondinsight2023.com. That's thesecondinsight2023.com to sign up for free. Thesecondinsight2023.com. Paid for by New Paradigm Research. Making sense in an insane world. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. How could the most powerful man in media just vanish from public life? My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'm a reporter who's covered politics for years. And in this podcast, I'm going to travel far and wide searching for the reclusive Matt Drudge, the founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who've worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. I'll also be chasing down tips from you, the listener, through a special hotline. So if you know where Drudge is right now or have a great Drudge story that might help us better understand the mysterious media mogul, please give us a call at 301-200-2414. Hopefully by the time this show ends, the man who knows Drudge best, Matt Drudge himself, will break his silence and sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. We break open modern-day conspiracies and tell you which elements may be the real deal. Like, did Bill Gates use COVID vaccines to microchip us all? We all do have tracking devices. Mm -hmm. We carry them around. We spend a lot of money on them. And what's actually on Hunter Biden's laptop? You are talking to the guy that has three of Hunter Biden's laptops and cell phone. And what did the deep state build under Denver Airport? Do you think there are secret bunkers? That's just on my list of questions I have about Jesse Ventura. It's our mission to get to the heart of these conspiracy theories and figure out the why, the how, and especially the if. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in. Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. This qualifies, I think, as major breaking news, not just for people from West Virginia, uh, but longtime West Virginia politician, probably the final Democrat in the state that could win anything, Joe Manchin has announced that he will not be running for re-election in 2024. Why is this a big deal? Uh, well, this means it's a 90, I would say 95, 98% chance, something like that, super high, that Republicans are going to pick up a Senate seat in West Virginia. That would make things 50-50. Uh, and if we have a Republican president, that means Republicans would have control of the Senate. Also, it means even in states, we got Arizona, Carrie Lake's running, but right now Republicans are favored in Ohio. I believe there's three or four really good candidates in the Republican primary race there that, that everybody's kind of excited about. That's going to be a battle. And then Montana, 
things could look pretty good there as well. Uh, but I want you to hear from Joe Manchin yourself. He just announced this in the last few minutes that he's not running for re-election. This is what that sounded like. After months of deliberation and long conversation with my family, I believe in my heart of hearts that I've accomplished what I set out to do for West Virginia. I've made one of the toughest decided that I will not be running for re-election to the United States Senate. But what I will be doing is traveling the country and speaking out to see if there is an interest in creating a movement to mobilize the middle and bring Americans together. Okay, Buck, this is big. The way he answered that, there has been talk that he may run as a third-party candidate as a part of this no-labels ticket. That would be devastating to Joe Biden. Because I think there are a lot of people listening to us right now who you may not agree with everything Joe Manchin said, but you're not going to be choosing between Joe Manchin and Donald Trump in the event Trump's the nominee. I think a lot of Democrats might peel off and support Joe Manchin in the event that he were running as a third-party candidate. But this is a big pickup. Republicans get the Senate seat, and now maybe Joe Manchin goes out and bollocks up Joe Biden's reelection chances. Yeah, but you think he's going to really run or is he just going to try to get some attention and, you know, create some organization that he can raise money for that'll pay for his food and lodging as he travels around? You know what I mean? I'm yeah, not sure. I, it's a good I'm question. Not sure, you know, because you start to get to the realities, as we've discussed, of third party candidacies are there are challenges and Democrats have gotten wise to wiser to them than ever because of what happened with the Green Party back in 2016 and Jill Stein. So they've made it a lot of states where the Democrats control the legislature. They've made it much more difficult to get on the ballot. And there are legal challenges. Basically, you have to have an organization and a war chest to really do it. Yeah. Because to be a third party candidate who's not on the ballot in places, I mean, you're not really going to. No make labels any, has any raised difference. tens of millions of dollars with the idea that they're going to have a middle of the road candidate. There's also been talk, and this is why what I thought would happen. But what I'm saying is that's kind of what you need yeah. to do to really do No, this. no doubt that Larry Hogan, who is the former Republican governor of Maryland, Maryland yeah. could be the choice. Maybe they run Larry Hogan and Joe Manchin together. Uh, but. I think if Joe Manchin were the candidate, that would actually be super beneficial to Donald Trump or anybody else who's the Republican nominee. Going because forward. you think he'd pull conservative he'd... Democrats away from yes. Biden? Because right now the the third party issue is that uh, RFK Jr., who has said he is going third party, would probably pull more um, votes away from Donald Trump than he would from Joe I Biden. I think that's so, right. And uh, I, I believe that, too. I've thought that all along. Um, I thought that the enthusiasm for RFK Jr. has always been much more from the right. And you can tell people, we, we got people, when you asked about Tucker yesterday as the VP for Trump, and I'm just going to say, I maybe have some inside knowledge here that that's not going to happen. Um, but, uh, if, if you, it was an interesting idea and certainly just goes to the level of respect that Trump has for, uh, for Tucker, uh, Carlson in general, but, uh, you look, I think, at, and I completely lost my train of thought. Was it, oh, it, sorry, RFK Jr. Yeah. RFK Jr. That's the one question I wish I had asked that I forgot to ask, whether and, Trump would consider him. And it wasn't just that you thought about this. We had people writing in. Like, yeah. Why didn't you ask about RFK yeah. Jr.? And to this, I just say, I mean, for Trump to put a not just a Democrat, but a Kennedy Democrat on his ticket, I know there are some people who think that's really cool and interesting and would change things up and would shake up the field. There are also a lot of people who would say, well, I'm voting Republican, but I'm getting a Democrat vice president. Now, I know that 
in the earliest days, you go back to the founding, we had a different yeah. different structure for how vice presidents were uh, were well, they weren't really chosen, they were kind of elected. Um, but that was a long time ago. People are used to having. You vote Republican, you get a Republican president and a Republican vice president. Well, so this is, you don't hear me say it too often, or maybe uh, you should listen to my wife, I say it all the time. Uh, I, I screwed that one up. That's a question I should have asked. And when we finish the interview, you go back through your head and you're like, okay. And I was like, dang it. I meant to ask about RFK Jr. too. Um, and, uh, and I whiffed on that one. So I'm sure we'll have Trump again on. I wish I had remembered to ask because I think I said I would ask on this show. Does a whiff for me? Um, you know, we're not perfect. Sometimes you get a, you get an interview and like, uh, you know, Trump is so entertaining at times. I never thought to ask him about the, uh, about the mugshot buck, but off air him telling the story of how the mugshot got taken was so funny to me that I said, oh man, I, we got to let him tell this story for the audience. And so you end up in, in any yeah. interview, sometimes following the direction of the, uh, of the answers more than, and this is what I was saying. I wish sometimes the moderators would do follow where the story goes in terms of the answers, as opposed to what your script shows that you and, might do. And, uh, do you have your, your mugshot, your Trump mugshot t-shirt clay? Because we definitely got, I mentioned the vanilla milkshakes, which were, which actually were delicious. Yes. Uh, but we have mugshot t-shirts. We do have mugshot well. t-shirts. So we got some cool, some cool gear. Uh, well, at least a, a piece of cool gear from it. And the fact that he got that mugshot in one take, I mean, that's, that's just a man who spent his whole life in the public eye getting photos taken of him. He knew it was game time and he put on his game face. I would not have expected Trump to be the perfect but, Instagram model in that yeah. situation. My, uh, you know, my mugshot would be like, you know, uh, rumpled looking PhD student who needs a shave who's like terrified at the thought of facing law enforcement. You know, like it would not be a good, I'm not think, a mugshot guy. I don't think they give you good lighting on the mugshot. No, anyway. you know what I mean? Do you ever see that website where they just had really good looking people mugshots? Have you ever seen that oh, yeah. before? Of course. Yeah. Every now and then somebody gets famous for being so incredibly good looking in their mugshot. And they had a website of all those uh, people, guys and girls. Gary Busey had a particularly. Oh, that was a rough one. Or no, was it uh, Nick Nolte? Nick Nolte. That's who it was. Nick Nolte. Nick Nolte had quite a mugshot. Not a a favorable one. Yeah. Well, Trump's mugshot came out very well. So there's that. More More brilliance tomorrow, hopefully. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name is Chris Moody, host of the new podcast, Finding Matt Drudge. I'll be taking you on a journey to find the mysterious media mogul Matt Drudge, founder of The Drudge Report. Along the way, I'll talk to people who have worked with him, dined with him, and fought with him, taking listeners into private conversations, all in an attempt to get a better understanding of who Drudge is and what motivates him. Hopefully, he'll even sit down with us. Listen to Finding Matt Drudge on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm John Seifer. And I'm Jerry O'Shea. We spent over 30 years in the CIA uncovering global conspiracies. Conspiracies aren't just a theory to us, which is why we started our podcast, Mission Implausible. Everyone has questions about conspiracy theories, but with our background, we can actually answer those questions. Anyone can just start screaming about microchips and Jewish space lasers, but it's our mission to remove the bull and get down to what's real. Listen to Mission Implausible on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.